here we go. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 98. This, as always, is the un-undisputed, everything I cannot share with you during the debate show that is undisputed. Today, I will respond to Micah Parsons' profanely savage and scathing tweet aimed at me. Today, I will allow you, all of you out there, once again, to rip me and my football team, the Dallas Cowboys, again, because we deserve it. But today, I will tell you why I was so right about Baker Mayfield. And today, I will tell you about the greatest sports movie that never got made because I was in the middle of it. And today, I will tell you what happened the next time I played the same hole upon which I had my first and probably last hole-in-one. And today, I will tell you about the one Dallas Cowboy jersey I will never, ever throw in the trash. But before I get to Micah Parsons, first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. I have something I would like to divulge. Maybe some of you more astute viewers this week have noticed that something looks a little different about Undisputed. Maybe even now, as you watch me, as I tape this podcast on Wednesday, maybe it feels a little bit different. Maybe it looks just slightly off different. It's because I'm doing it from home. It's because I've been doing Undisputed from home. That's because I have COVID. Once again, for my second time, I have COVID. Maybe if you want to be a little more in-depth about it, I caught cowboy COVID last week. My theory is that the Dallas Cowboys destroyed me to such a point, to such a depth, that they shredded my immune system just the way my defense got shredded by Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. I was so down, I was so low, that I was even more susceptible than ever to COVID. I actually got boosted, I don't know, six weeks ago. I got the latest... Moderna booster, but my immune system was so low, so shattered, so shredded by my Dallas Cowboys that I caught Cowboy COVID. So it started during last Friday's show. I felt a little scratch in my throat. I willed it away. I said, no, I no, 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 no. Show ended. Little Wayne is always was there on Friday, getting ready to head to San Francisco to watch his Green Bay Packers play the San Francisco 49ers on Saturday night. And as always, Wayne and I sit at the debate desk, the undisputed desk, as Colin Coward's show launches across the floor from us. So he goes live as we hand off to him 
the lights go down on this side of the floor, and Wayne and I sit side by side at the debate desk, whispering to each other this way, whispering this way, whispering, catching up, talking about tomorrow night, whispering, we must have whispered to each other so as not to disturb Colin for 30 minutes. So we talked about tomorrow night's game. How you doing? How you doing? What's happening? This is happening. How's Ernestine? How's this? How's the back and forth we go? 30 minutes we talked. And later on Friday night, as I finally broke down and tested, and Ernestine, my wife, said, oh my God, you've got it again. She is COVID crazed, COVID paranoid. My first thought was, oh my God, I gave it to Wayne. Fortunately, that was not the case. Fortunately, I didn't give it to any of my coworkers that I know of. But late Friday night, I just finally said, not feeling great. We tested. What is it? I I didn't look at it. She did it. What does it come up pink or whatever the home test says? I had COVID. I didn't feel that bad. Saturday, I began to cough. Sunday, I coughed my brains out. But fortunately, we were able through our doctor here in Los Angeles. Dr. Cole, we appreciate you. I got some prescription cough medicine, Hycodin. It's powerful, potent. And I took a swig of that Sunday night leading into Monday. And it wiped out my cough. I did not cough from that moment forward. I have not coughed once. I feared doing the show on Monday because I feared I would cough. But when I woke up Monday, no cough. Didn't feel all that bad. And it dawned on me that in the old days, pre-COVID, when I got my twice-a-year sinus infection, all that junk and gunk in my throat, I just went on. I don't know how many times I had some upper respiratory infection, some cough and cold, draining, some lung something. I had pneumonia once back in my Dallas days. I don't know how many times I just kept going. I don't know how many times I went to press boxes to cover games. I don't know how many times I went to newspapers to type my column. I don't know how many times I went to TV studios. How many times did I get sick during the cold pizza days in New York? I just kept going. I did not miss a show. I went in with my infection because that's just what you did. I did not think once about my coworkers. I'm sure I infected many of my coworkers, but that was not the mindset of those times. My mindset was pull yourself up by your bootstraps and tough it out. And by God, I did. Never missed a day. No matter how sick I got, I fought through it. And all of a sudden, life has changed. Now, with COVID, it is so contagious, at least that's what we're told, and what I believe, 
It is so contagious. I don't want to put my teammates at risk. So Monday, I easily could have gone into the studio. Easily. I I felt strong. I, I feel strong now. I did not miss a single workout. I did my one hour of cardio on last Saturday morning, on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday. I did my one hour of cardio. On Monday evening, I lifted weights hard. I felt great. I was shocked at how strong I felt. My spirit, my energy are at 100% levels. I have constantly tested my temperature. No temperature, no fever. I've constantly uh, tested my lungs with a little apparatus that Ernestine bought because Dr. Cole says, you need to make sure you don't, your lung isn't affected. It's supposed to be 97. I don't know what this thing is. I constantly hit 97, 98. My lungs are strong, but I'm still draining even as I speak right now. I still have a little mucus occasionally in my throat. So I fight it. Dr. Cole gave me a Z-pack of antibiotic to fight whatever infection because this thing went right into sort of sinus infection. And I had the junk and gunk in my throat, cough it up and spit it out. I know this is too much information. I'm just telling you what my symptoms have been, but no cough, no fever. Strong, not affected overall by this, able to go into the studio, can't go into the studio. So now here we are again at home, home studio. Ernestine operating as my audio tech because she has to come out in the mornings. We kick off, as you know, at 6.30 a.m. out here in L.A. Pacific time, 9.30 Eastern on Undisputed. We go live, and I'm sitting right here in this chair because she has put my earpiece in and mic'd me up for Undisputed, as she just did for the podcast. The problem is, The last thing in the whole world Ernestine wants is COVID. The last thing in the world. She is COVID like mental. And I honor that because it has helped protect me through the pandemic over these low four years that we've been fighting with this. The problem is that it's just Ernestine and I and our daughter Hazel, our little Maltese, and Ernestine is convinced I cannot see Hazel because she could get COVID. I, I don't know that for a fact, but that's what Ernestine tells me because that's what the internet says. I guess we should read our internet Bible and always take it to our bank, Ernestine. But that's what she tells me. So I'm out of my mind because since last Friday night, she has not let me even get close to Hazel. I can't even say hi from a distance to Hazel. And I'm very attached to Hazel. So it's eating my heart out not to see my daughter, Hazel. I am quarantined. I am a leper. I am stuck in my office where I sleep, eat. She brings my food to the door, knocks on the door and puts it down. I'm a leper. I I am contaminated. I am contained in my office, except when she lets me out to do my podcast or to do the morning undisputed. But to her credit, She puts on a hazmat suit with like nine masks and these thick, heavy, weird glasses. I didn't know she owned these glasses to cover her eyes. 
and she gets like at arm's length and she tries to hook me up. She put my chain on, way to go Ernestine. She does the best she can do under the circumstances because it's just the two of us and Hazel. And I don't think Hazel, as smart as she is, could mic me up and put my earpiece in. I might underestimate her though because she amazes me. The problem is I'm still draining. So to be able to do Undisputed and to be able to make sure that I don't cough during Undisputed, in the mornings, I've been taking two things on top of my Z-Pack of antibiotics. I'm taking Sudafed and I'm taking Mucinex to dry me up. So new issue has arisen for me on Undisputed that I have never faced in my lengthy TV career. I run for an hour from 2.30 to 3.30. Then I eat a little breakfast and I take my medicine. So I take my antibiotic, my Sudafed, and my Mucinex. So now I'm already dehydrated. I'm trying to rehydrate and I'm taking two pills that dehydrate me even more. And this is to clear me up. But the problem is now I think I need to drink way more than I ever drink before and during shows. In fact, I need to take a drink now because I'm getting a little cotton mouthy. Thank you. And the more I drink, the more my system is screwed up to the point that, believe me, until this past Monday, in all the years, what, 35 years that I have done TV shows, in all the years, let's see, 12 years on ESPN that I did cold pizza slash first take, in the going on eight years here at FS1 that I've done Undisputed, not once, not once in my entire TV career have I ever needed to use the restroom during a show. Not one time because I prepare for it. I do my business before the show. I make sure that my system is evened out where I can make it through two and a half hours of Undisputed without needing to run to the bathroom because there's not a real nearby handy bathroom on the second floor of the FS1 studios that you can navigate to quickly in a break of Undisputed. So I don't do it because I, I don't need to. I've never even thought about it until Monday's show, which I'm doing from home. And all of a sudden, my system got so out of whack from hydrate, dehydrate, hydrate, dehydrate, Sudafed, Mucinex, cardio, Sudafed. It, it, it got so out of whack that I realized at 8.30 Pacific time, 11.30 Eastern, with 30 minutes to go and undisputed, I glanced at the clock and I realized there's no way I'm going to make 30 more minutes without having to pee, as Ernestine says. As she says, quickly pee. <sighs> My bladder was about to burst. The, the pain threshold, mine's high, was excruciating to where... I told my producer, Nick, through my earpiece and through my microphone back to the Fox studios, Nick, I, I, I'm going to have to make a run for it. 
well, this is going to require me to try to, to get Ernestine to come out of hiding to, with her hazmat suit back on and her nine masks and her giant glasses to unhook me so that I can run. I can't do it myself because she's going to have to hook me back up. And I'm going to have to make a run for the bathroom. And this was the second to last break of the show. And I did make a run. And it was a four and a half minute break. And I swear, forgive my language, I, I peed for three and a half straight minutes out of the four and a half minute break. I peed. I just constantly peed for three and a half minutes. I've, I've never peed that long in my whole life. It just kept peeing and peeing and peeing. I just said, this is unbelievable. This is a record. I wish I could have like maybe measured how much pee it was. Sorry for that. But, but it would have been my all-time record pee. And I made it back with 45 seconds to spare. I made it back. Ernestine, God bless her. She hooked me all back up and I was ready to go. And I made it through the rest of the show, which I would not have endured without taking my first ever pee break in the history of my time on television. Thank you, Sudafed. Thank you, Mucinex. Thank you, Cowboy COVID. I have it. I'm fighting with it. I hope to go back into studio tomorrow, which would be Thursday, but I won't know until tonight. I'll test again, see if I can test cleanly this time. I guess you have to test negative. I'm always backwards on positive, negative. It seems like if you're positive, you'd be okay. But I, I need to be clean of COVID and maybe tonight, please God, I will be. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I just mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. So moments after, I can barely speak about it, that all-time Cowboy disaster at the hands of the Green Bay Packers a week ago Sunday. I fired off a barrage of tweets, one of which was, and I quote, I can't wait for Micah Parsons' podcast tomorrow. That's what he does best. I was beside myself. I was distraught. I was discombobulated. My psyche was annihilated, and that was just one of a barrage of tweets aimed at my Dallas Cowboys 
who had let me down in ways never, ever before imagined. Man. So, as you might know, I have consistently criticized Micah Parsons for his podcast. Too much too soon. I love Micah as a player, but I don't love it, especially when he criticizes other teams and other players too much too soon. And my question has been from the start, Micah, do you want to be a commentator or a game wrecker because you're cart before horse? First you game wreck. First you establish your Hall of Fame career path. First maybe you win one ring. Then you can podcast. Then you can make commercials. Then you can be whatever you want to be. But first, you establish who you are as a football player, something you haven't yet done, even as we speak. So, again, I get extremely emotional off Cowboy losses. I get over-emotional, I'm the first to admit. But remember, this was the worst collapse to me in NFL playoff history under the circumstances. The circumstances being my team has not been to an NFC championship game in now 28 years. Obviously hasn't been to a Super Bowl in 28 years since that 1995 season. And all of a sudden, into our laps fell the two seed. That meant two home playoff games to get to an NFC championship game in a Jerry world in which we had won 16 straight games. We were healthy. We seemed relatively happy coming off a take-care-of-business win at Washington to cinch the two-seed. And never before in the history of the playoffs had a seven-seed ever eliminated a two-seed. I loved our position. I loved our chances. And I still can't even comprehend what happened. 27 nothing happened before halftime. 48 to 16 happened early in the fourth quarter. And during said collapse, Micah Parsons registered his worst pass rushing numbers of his career, of his career, as in rear. Micah Parsons managed to pressure the quarterback one time against Green Bay with zero sacks, one solo tackle, one assisted tackle, zero tackles for loss. Worst combined pass rush stats of his career. And I'll remind you that a year ago, down the stretch, final six games of the regular season, Micah faded, had only a sack and a half those last six games. This year, down the stretch, the final seven games, including the Green Bay game, he had two and a half total sacks. He faded. 
he frankly disappeared. And he deeply disappointed. Little did I know that Micah, as I was tweeting, was adding insult to injury because he child, excuse me, childishly ducked out, childishly ducked out right after the game and did not speak to the media. Did not subject himself to any post-game questions from the media. And here I had hoped that this would be the year that Micah would emerge as a team leader, maybe the team leader as the best player on the team. How wrong I was about Micah Parsons. How many times this year I mentioned that I had to file a missing Parsons report, missing Parsons report. Micah should have owned that loss. He would have been, should have been leading the charge to the media to own that loss, to speak for his teammates instead of leaving all of them to speak for him. Instead of leaving all of his teammates to take all the media slings and arrows that he should have taken. So, what was the first time that we heard from Micah after that loss? It wasn't until the following day. And it was in the form of a tweet that was aimed at me. And I'm going to read said tweet. Again, pardon some of the language. Micah tweeted at me, you just a hating ass MF who mad I ain't want to do your show. Where was all this when you were on my nuts wanting me to come on your show every Tuesday? You lame as F, skip real shit, fake-ass cowboy fan, tweeted Micah about me. Okay, Micah, you take your shots, and I appreciate your shots because it's well within your right to take them, and now I will respond. I've taken my shots, you take yours, now I respond. You're welcome to respond back. But I'm going to start from the start. Micah's rookie year, I found him to be a revelation, one I did not see coming. In that draft, I wanted Patrick Sertan. I knew he'd be a perennial Pro Bowl cornerback, and he has established himself as just that. But Denver snatched him one pick ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. They might have been interested in J.C. Horn, who had gone two picks earlier to Carolina. But I wanted Pat Sertan. Gone. So Jerry made a shrewd move. Jerry said, okay, I'm going to trade back. And guess who my trade partner is going to be? It's going to be Philadelphia. As long as Jerry could trust Philly, would take Devontae Smith 
at 10 where Dallas sat initially. And they did. And Jerry traded back with Philly to 12. So then Justin Fields, most people thought, was targeted for Chicago. And that's who took him at 11, which left at 12. Jerry Jones to take the best defensive player still ranked on his board, the highest ranked. And it was this kid out of Penn State named Micah Parsons. And before long, I was calling him my oh Micah 11 from heaven. Before long, he was such a pass-rushing revelation. That we even went to our man, DJ Steve Porter, who created the famed or maybe infamous, I don't know, Tim Tebow music video, All He Does Is Win. You might remember that back in the day in 2011, took the nation by storm. DJ Steve is genius. And we did a My Oh Micah music video that we played often on Undisputed. And I got so carried away about Micah that I dared, I dared to put him in the same conversation with Lawrence Taylor. I said he's got millions of miles to go, but he has the potential as a pass rusher to equal Lawrence Taylor because I had never seen such speed and quickness at this size, did not yet have his man body or his man strength. Lawrence Taylor was born, even when he was like two years old, he had grown man strength. But I'll take the blame for this. I, I overhyped. I leaped before I probably looked. I got carried way, way, way away. I couldn't help myself. I also immediately began criticizing the defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, for the way he utilized Micah because he kept seeing Micah as a hybrid linebacker, pass rusher, stand up, and fairly regularly dropped him into pass coverage. I couldn't see it, couldn't take it, didn't stand for it, often criticized it. And did you see the other day, interesting, that Micah's brother took a shot at Dan Quinn by saying that the way Micah has been utilized in Dallas has been criminal. So Micah, I had your back way before your brother had your back. So the summer before Micah's second season, it was suggested to me by our boss at FS1, Charlie Dixon, mastermind that he is, how about we try to see if we could get Micah to pop on maybe every Tuesday for a quick segment, you know, eight, 10 minutes on Undisputed from his home in Dallas. That would be their off day. Just eight or 10 minutes to look back and look ahead. How's the season unfolding? How's he feeling? Just a Mayo Micah segment every Tuesday. Well, sure, I bless that, but. It was not my idea. I had nothing to do with the negotiation. And here's the God's truth. Even though I certainly blessed the idea, not once did I ever, ever communicate with Micah Parsons. I never spoke to him on the phone. 
I never texted with him. I don't have his contact info. So there's no way I could have begged him to be on our show because never communicated with him once in my life. I will tell you this. We shared a contact at Cameo. I did about a year's worth of work at Cameo. Mike has been big on Cameo. But we shared a contact up in their ranks. And said contact contacted me for Micah at one point and said, hey, Micah would like to send you a Micah jersey if he could get your home address or your mailing address. Sure. So I wrote back to this contact at Cameo. Here's my address. Never heard from Micah. Never saw any jersey. Didn't care. Didn't lose one minute's sleep about it. Only remembered that as I put this together for this podcast. I do own a Micah jersey, which the other night I threw in the trash. But I purchased it with my own money. I didn't ask the Cowboys for it. I didn't want any freebies. I ordered it off NFL.com just the way all of you would order your Micah jersey. So, I was told that going into Micah's second season, that it was on. We would have a Micah Parsons show every Tuesday at 8.30 Pacific time, 11.30 Eastern, 8 or 10 minutes. And on the morning we were to launch, I was excited about that until Micah no-showed. He stood us up. No reason was given. We didn't get a call from any of his reps. Nothing from Micah. Over and out. I don't know what happened. I did lose a little respect for Micah that day because future team leaders, faces of franchises, just don't operate that way. They handled themselves with a little more responsibility and class. No showed. And I lost no sleep over it, whatever life went on. He did tell the local, the Dallas area media the next day that he just decided that he wouldn't do Undisputed because he wanted to focus on football. And as I said, on Undisputed, whenever the next couple of days. Good for Micah. Love it. Bless that decision. But the truth was, I figured, I just sort of educated guessed, if you will, at that point, that it was probably Dak Prescott who went to Micah Parsons and said, hey, don't, don't do Skip show. He's been all over me. Never been a big fan of mine, except for the first year. I could just hear Micah telling, I'm sorry, Dak telling Micah, just don't. It'd be a bad look for me if you do that show and a bad look for the Dallas Cowboys. And I figured a young player like Micah just sort of looked up to Dak and said, okay, whatever you say, boss. Dak from the start, was clearly threatened by Micah, 
by his rise. I think he was a little jealous of all the attention that Micah got. And that's my two cents from a distance about why that show did not happen. Maybe Micah has a different take on it. But this brings me on, by the way, to finish that off, I I just think Dak Prescott could not imagine Micah being on the undisputed stage weekly. That's what I think. But that does bring me to my cowboy fandom or lack thereof, as Micah suggests. No, Micah, I'm not a fake fan. I'm I'm actually the opposite of a fake fan. A fake fan to me, well, I, I guess maybe, Micah, you define a cowboy fan as somebody who will worship you blindly no matter how poorly you perform. Maybe that to you is a real fan. The truth is I'm too real of a fan. The The truth is I'm the opposite of fake fan because I'm, I'm a hard-ass fan. I am an overly demanding fan. I'm a spoiled, rotten fan. I'm an extremely knowledgeable fan because I have known cowboy greatness. I have covered years and years of cowboy teams having written three books about the Dallas Cowboys. I have known Two Tall Jones. I have known Harvey Martin. I have known Randy White. I have known the great Charles Haley. I have known the greatest pass rushers this team has ever known. I don't go all the way back to Bob Lilly but I know all about Bob Lilly. Heck, I I even know my close friend Pat Toomey led the Cowboys in sacks. 1973, went on to Buffalo, led them in sacks, and was their defensive player of the year. His first year in Buffalo, went to the Raiders, led them in sacks, and was known by Raider fans as third down Pat. I, I even know Pat Toomey, Micah. All of these players more productive in their day than you have been so far in your day. The three books I wrote, Micah, were forged with extreme objectivity. A lot of Cowboy fans did not love my books because they were just too honest, maybe too true. I pull back the curtain on Tom Landry, on Jerry versus Jimmy on those hell-bent 1995 Dallas Cowboys. Speak of them in just a moment. But at heart, Micah, I'm I'm really what you would call a die-hard fan, as in I die so hard when you guys get humiliated in playoff games. Went to my first game, thanks to my Uncle Jim Parker, when I was 10 years old. In Dallas, Texas, the old Cotton Bowl, St. Louis Cardinals playing the Dallas Cowboys. I got blinded by those stars on those shoulder pads. 
blinded. And now, Micah, I'm just seeing stars because I've been blindsided, as in dizzy stars. You were down 48 to 16 to a seven seed at home in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter. And and now you're still coached by Mike McCarthy. He's still coming back. He's going to be your coach next year. You're kidding me. Now you've completely imploded into this finger-pointing, blame-deflecting embarrassment. Dak's brother's tweeting about if he could, he'd get Dak out of Dallas because cowboy fans, fake cowboy fans, don't deserve him. Your brother's tweeting about Dak better take a hometown discount, or he should pack his bags. That's what your brother tweeted, Micah. You say, well, you only speak for yourself. I don't know. When relatives speak, you got to assume they heard it from the horse's mouth. CD's mom tweets, get rid of his ass about Dak Prescott. Get rid of his ass. And I can't forget that our man at Fox, Rob Gronkowski, who knows what it's like to win Super Bowls with Tom Brady, said after you got blown off the field up at Buffalo, 266 yards rushing that day, run off the field. He said, that's just not a mentally tough football team. True. Just not mentally tough. And you know, CD's mom is so right, so spot on, so dead on. When she tweeted, Dak ain't it. No, he's not. My fear, Micah, is that you aren't either. Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to throw out two quick questions and answer them both at once as best I can. First is from Max from Rochester. How does it feel that the lowly Lions have made the NFC Championship and the Cowboys still have not? And then the other question is from David from Colorado. There's no way the Cowboys would have beaten this Lions team. Be glad they were eliminated. The Cowboys eliminated when they were, when they did get eliminated. Okay, Max and David, I honor your questions this week because for the first and hopefully the last time in the history of this podcast, I have no response to either question because you got me. My team is spit. I was going to say the other word, but I'll just say spit. My Dallas Cowboys did prove to be nothing more than very talented losers. I cease. I desist. I give up. 
no moss. You got me. Quick aside, if you will allow, about a guy I have often defended on this podcast as well as on Undisputed. His name, in case you've forgotten, is Baker Mayfield. He's back. I said before his draft, he should be the first overall pick. That was a little out there on the end of that limb. And he was. And I stand by that pre-draft prediction and stance because I did not see Lamar Jackson coming. I don't think anybody really saw him coming except maybe Ozzie Newsome in Baltimore later in the draft, toward the, you know, the end of the first round. Lamar's a force of nature. Before this season started, I did pick Lamar and company to win it all over my Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Wrong about them. I'm going to be right about Baltimore. I'm going to be right about the fact that this year has belonged to Lamar Jackson. He's going to win his second MVP, and I believe his first Super Bowl MVP. Didn't see him coming. Did see Baker coming. Baker's better than Sam Darnold, better than Josh Rosen. He's up there with Josh Allen. He's he's up there. We can go back and forth about Josh Allen, the ultimate turnover machine. I thought he played very well against Mahomes the other night, but I don't know. There's something about Baker that I still love that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, trust me on this, from on high, they've fallen in love with. That spirit, that spunk. I know he can be a little over cocky, just a little too full of himself, a little too arrogant. But Baker got humbled late in his Cleveland run and through most of his Carolina run. Baker did have some great stretches in Cleveland his rookie year and his third year. Did win a playoff game. Has won two playoff games in his career. Played very well at Detroit the other day. Nearly pulled that one out. Did throw a late interception. But other than that, had a great game. And he's finally found a home following, of all people, the GOAT. Following Tom Brady in Tampa, he actually put up a little better numbers than Tom did in his final season in the National Football League in Tampa. Baker Mayfield was a revelation this year. Baker Mayfield played extremely high-level football against Philadelphia and at Detroit. I can tell you for a fact, the people in charge in Tampa are committed to Baker Mayfield for whatever, the next three years. He's going to get the money he earned and the security he earned 
because he has found a home. He is the new spirit of the buccaneers. He did all those progressive commercials in Cleveland. It was too much too soon, just as I talked about Micah in his podcast. Baker was a natural at those commercials. They're all-time great, but they were just too much. That target got painted on his back larger and larger and larger, and even Baker could not live up. But he persevered. He broke back through. And look at him now. This is Eli from Austin who asks, what team or story in sports history do you wish they had made a movie out of? Well, that's an easy one for me, Eli. The 1995 Dallas Cowboys. Last Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl team. That last NFC Championship team. For what, going on now 29 years. You know what, Eli? I know all about that team because I wrote a book about that team. It was called Hell Bent, The Crazy Truth About the Winner Else Dallas Cowboys, a team that won it all in spite of itself. We had Troy Aikman versus Barry Switzer. They quit speaking to each other on December the 4th of that year and did not speak to each other all the way through winning the Super Bowl together. We had Neon Dion primetime putting the 49ers over the top against the Cowboys in 94, then joining the Cowboys and putting them back over the top in 95. We had Emmett Smith. We had Michael Irvin. We had all the shenanigans, all the episodes, all the incidents, all of which are in my book, Hell Bent. All of which inspired a producer out here in Hollywood to buy the rights to my book, Hell Bent. to decide he was going to make that movie to the point that he sent his production team to Dallas to work with me and shoot some exteriors, which they did. He also asked me if I would so choose to attempt writing that screenplay, which I did. It wasn't very good. I just pretty much stuck with the script that I had written in the book. I don't think it would have worked, but I I tried. I don't think he even began to like it. But the point was, I waited, and I waited for something to happen after the exteriors were shot. And the truth is, I don't know what happened to that movie because it got lost in Hollywood development. I don't know. It's like 98% of the projects out here get lost in development. I don't know what that means. I don't know where that is. It's just purgatory. Hollywood purgatory. Nothing ever happened. It just went away. 
maybe that was an omen. It vanished just like our Super Bowl champion, uh, chances. It vanished just like our NFC Championship game chances. It just disappeared. But what a great story that would be to tell. This is Billy from Orange County, Florida. Have you played golf since you had your hole-in-one? Thank you for asking, Billy. I have played that hole number seven at Brentwood Country Club one time since that fateful day. And when I came to that hole, the time I played it the second time, the time after the hole-in-one, the weirdest sensation came over me. True story. It felt like the golf gods were again tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you, you thought it was a billion to one the first time? Watch this. I felt like I was going to ace that hole again to have consecutive holes in one on number seven at Brentwood Country Club. As God is my witness, I had that feeling surge through me as I stood on the tee and sized up the shot. I told you before, the first time I was hitting a shot into the Pacific Coast, Pacific Ocean wind, which is into you on number seven, from 146 yards to a back left pin. That's a stock seven iron shot for me. And I hit the purest, greatest seven iron I've hit in my life that went straight in the hole. This time, there was little to no wind, and the pin was 146 yards, but back right. So I second-guessed, and I thought, maybe I should club down. Maybe I can get an 8-iron there with no wind, because I'm pretty jazzed up here, because I feel like the golf gods are surging through my limbs. So. I went eight iron and I struck it well, but I caught it a touch thin, just a touch thin, maybe a touch, what you call heavy. I didn't flush it. I didn't catch it purely. I hit it straight on line at the right pin, but I knew off the club face, it wasn't going to get there and it did not. Straight on line, looked great in the air, Landed 20 feet short because it's uphill to the flag. Sucked back five feet. Left me 25 feet uphill to the hole. By that point, I was so shook, I had lost control of my hands. that They weren't even part of my body anymore. So I sort of watched myself try to putt, and I watched my hands... lose themselves from my body and swipe at the ball and blast it uphill six feet past the hole. And I watched my hand shake and put a choke stroke on my par putt and leave it maybe three inches short back down the hill for a bogey. And I could hear the golf gods up above me 
chuckling. This is Alex from California. If, if I tried to say hi to you on a run, would you stop and say hi? We're talking about on a run outside here in Los Angeles, as in jogging. Alex, absolutely, utterly, unequivocally, inarguably, there is no way I would stop and say hi to you because you have hit on my one running pet peeve. I have run a million miles in cities all over the world, including the one I live in, Los Angeles. My pet peeve is for somebody to pull up and ask me, not because they recognize me, but but to pull up and say, hey, can you tell me where... No, no, I can't. I'm running. I'm, I'm just trying to get through my one-hour run. I'm, I'm running against myself. I'm competing with my best times on said route. I'm lost in my endeavor. I'm just trying to get through. The last thing I want to do is stop sweating and say, oh, well, you, you take a left at the next light, and then you take, you go three blocks. No, I'm not going to do that. People often do when I'm running outside, recognize me and yell to, hey, Skip, and I yell, hey, what's up? And I wave, but trust me, I will never, ever stop. I love you, but I'm not going to stop. And finally, we have Nick from Greenville, South Carolina, who asks, which cowboy jersey would you never throw in the trash? Nick, there's only one. Sacred. It's my throwback, number 12, Roger Staubach jersey with the stars on the shoulders. Roger Staubach, the greatest Cowboy quarterback. I love Dandy Don Meredith. I love Troy Aikman. Heck, I like Tony Romo. At times, I like Dak Prescott. But there was just one, Roger Staubach. He was the inventor the creator, the namer of Hail Marys because he threw one and then coined the name thereafter to Drew Pearson that beat the Vikings in a playoff game. He was captain comeback. He was Roger the Dodger. He was the most competitive football player I have ever been around and I competed against him in basketball many times. Never seen anything like him. Won the Heisman at Navy. Did a stretch in Vietnam. He was a 28-year-old NFL rookie who lifted the Dallas Cowboys over the top into two Super Bowl championships 
narrowly lost two more Super Bowls to more talented Pittsburgh Steeler teams, quarterback, fireman Terry Bradshaw. I covered Roger, got to know him well. I miss him mightily. Now I'm stuck with Dak. My number 12 Staubach jersey is forever. That's it for episode 98. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed, every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.